Let me encourage you to turn your Bibles now to the Old Testament book of Psalms and join me in the 101st selection, which we will read in its entirety. I was originally planning on preaching from another passage, and so children, um, instead of working uh, and listening for the word Timothy today, if you're following along in the kids' corner, you'll listen for the name David instead. Psalm 101 is a psalm of David, and it reads as follows. I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. Father, I pray that it would be our heart with David to be upright in our ways, to walk in the way that you have commanded us to walk, to be whom you have called us to be. And I pray that you'd use this sermon to show us, that use this passage to show us where we are not, and where we may be, and where we should be, and how through Christ we can be, who you've called us to be. So help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few of you have had occasion in recent months to sit for job interviews. And most of the rest of you who are adults know the routine as well. You fill out an application usually, which requires various pieces of information about yourself and about your education and your work history and so on. And then if they like what they see, you turn up for the interview where some of those things may be gone into a little deeper. Further questions may be asked. And the supervisor gets a chance just to get a feel for who you are and how you might fit with the company. And if the company is really astute, then they will also do some significant background checking on you to find out the answers to questions about your integrity and your work ethic and your trustworthiness and your humility and your teachability and so on. If they're really doing their homework, in other words, they will not only want to know about your skills and your credentials, but before you come to work for them, they will want to know what sort of person you are as well whether you can be trusted, whether you are teachable, whether you are fit to represent the company and to be trusted with its assets. And when we come to Psalm 101 this morning, we find King David rolling over in his mind and really laying out before the Lord the contents of just this same sort of background check that he is going to perform on those who minister to him. Here he is, 
the ultimate human supervisor, the king in Jerusalem, and we find him here preparing his list of what sort of people are fit to serve in his house, fit to minister in his kingdom. You can see his intentions quite well in verse 6, can't you? My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me, is the one whom I will hire to come into my courts and to work with me and to work for me and to serve this kingdom. I don't know when David wrote this psalm, but I wonder if he may have written it when he first ascended to the throne and he was beginning to make decisions and pronouncements as to who would be fit for service under the new regime. Perhaps he realized he needed to clean house a little bit, or maybe he was just making it known from the very outset that his kingdom would be run on the basis of uprightness and character. If you're going to serve with me, you will be a person of character. Those who serve in this new regime had better meet those standards. But whenever it was written, whether early in his reign or late, it's clear that what we have before us this morning is a kind of character list, a checklist, really, written in order to set the standard for what sorts of persons are fit for a king. What sorts of persons David will keep on his staff in Jerusalem. And even to some extent, what sorts of persons, verse 8, will even be fit to dwell in the royal city at all. And we should note well in verses 2 and 3 that David will hold himself to the same high standards. I will give heed to the blameless way. And so the general rule is this. Those who are upright... Those who are people of character and integrity, these are the ones who are fit to serve the king. And those who are not such people will be cut loose. So you'll notice in verse 12, as I said, that David himself resolves that he will give heed to the blameless way and that he will walk within his house in the integrity of his heart. And then he also has the same standards For those who will work for him, as we saw in verse 6, he who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. And moreover, David is committed to dismiss employees who don't live up to these ethical standards. Verse 7, he who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. And David even twice asserts in verses 5 and 8 that he will even avail himself of his royal prerogative to destroy evildoers within his kingdom. And so David is giving in this psalm a very clear manifesto of what will and will not be tolerated in his kingdom, a very clear statement that character will be of paramount importance as he makes his employment decisions and even as he shapes the population that lives within Jerusalem's walls. Character. And I want to remind you this morning that while standards of integrity ought to be of utmost importance in any workplace, this would be especially crucial among David's employees because David wasn't just running any old business. He was ruling over an entire kingdom. And that kingdom wasn't just any kingdom either, was it? It was the Old Testament kingdom of the living 
God. And so David's character checklist, his background check, if you will, on his employees was not just for protecting his own assets and his own reputation, but character was important to David so that he might steward the assets and the reputation and the people and the glory of the living God whom his kingdom represents. The rules that David lays down here are for what sort of person is fit for a king. And not just about what is fitting for the kingdom of David, but what is fitting for those who serve the kingdom of God. And that is where the rubber meets the road for us today, because we serve the kingdom of God too, do we not? Now it's true that the breadth and the depth of that kingdom has changed so that it now includes far more than just one ethnic group living in the promised land. The kingdom of God is no longer a geographical or ethnic kingdom. It's one that spreads as far and wide as does faith in the name of Jesus. But there is still a kingdom. And while David's city is no longer its capital, there is still a city set on a hill. And I want to say to you this morning that every one of you who has been bought with Christ's blood and united to him by faith, I want to say to you this morning that you are that city. And you are members of that kingdom. And if David had high character expectations for those who lived and served in his kingdom, how much more King Jesus? And it is in that vein that I want to help you see this morning that this psalm describes not just how David's servants needed to live, but how the servants of God in all ages and in every place, how the servants of God's kingdom must live everywhere and at all times. Now, this is not to say that you gain admission to God's kingdom by means of your character. If that were true, none of us would have entered at all, would we? No, we enter the kingdom of God not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but because of Jesus' good deeds on our behalf. Hear that well. We enter this kingdom by means of his sinless life lived in our place and his sacrificial death on our behalf and his resurrection on the third day and our simple trust that these things are enough to make us right with God. That's how we enter God's kingdom, by faith in Christ. But once we enter... The question today is, what sorts of moral and ethical standards ought we live by? What sorts of behaviors and character traits make us fit to serve our king? What sort of citizens ought we be in God's kingdom? These are questions for which we will find answers here in Psalm 101. And I want us to think those answers through this morning. We've already noted David's general assertions. That those who are fit for the king's service are those who are faithful, verse 6a, those who are blameless, verse 6b, and not those who are wicked, verse 8, for instance. But let's look now at some more specific character qualities which make David's background check and see if we measure up as fit servants of the king. So first of all, notice David's insistence on integrity. Integrity. First of all, verse 2, he commits himself to integrity. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart 
And then he also expects it out of his servants in verse 7. He expects truthfulness. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Integrity, honesty, truthfulness. This is what makes one fit for the king in David's Jerusalem. And David's commitment was that should he discover a dishonest person in his midst, that that person would no longer dwell within his house and that he or she would be unfit for his service. And I simply want to say to you this morning that dishonesty, deceitfulness, lack of integrity, these things are not fitting for a servant of Jesus, the son of David, either. And some of us perhaps need to hear that desperately this morning. Some of us in the room today may be sorely lacking in this very basic Christian quality of truthfulness and honesty and just being above board in all of our dealings. Some of us are prone to tell little white lies that don't seem to really harm anything after all. But I remind you that no lie is a white lie. If God has told us to bear witness to the truth, and we tell lies, even if we think they're small. They're not white, they're crimson. The color of Jesus' blood, which was spilled out onto the ground because his people cannot tell the truth. Others of us may have consciences quite seared when it comes not to lying with our lips, but with integrity in finances or business. If we can save a few dollars here by leaving this or that thing unreported or by fudging the numbers a little bit, well, then we're actually quite happy and may even think ourselves fairly shrewd business people. And after all, we'll tell ourselves it's just a little thing. No one's ever going to miss it anyway. But Jesus says that he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. And so there really are no little things, and we must take integrity seriously in everything. And heed Jesus' words well. Let me give you a few specifics to think about in the realm of integrity and truthfulness and honesty. In the next weeks, most of the adults in this room will be filling out your 2014 income taxes. My favorite time of year, as you all know. Um, And it seems to me that we have an unusually high number of people in our congregation who are either self-employed or who do side jobs or who pick up freelance work. And praise God that you are able to do that. We have an unusually high number of people, though, in other words, who will have to be honest about how much income you actually earn because it's not going to show up on your W-2. And I wonder if you'll actually all be honest about that between now and April 15th. And then I wonder when the waitress gives you too much change or when he charges you for a small instead of a large, if you have integrity enough to not pocket the extra money. Children, I wonder if the next time you break something in your home, if you'll be honest with mom and dad about what happened, or if you'll try to hide the broken pieces, or blame someone else, or pretend you don't know how the glass fell off the counter, or if you'll simply tell the truth. And adults, let me ask you if you tell the truth about why you're really late to work, or why the project really didn't get done on time. Or about the hours you're recording on your timesheet. Let me ask you husbands and wives if you're deceitful with your spouse about certain things. Let me ask you older folks if you're being completely honest with the various agencies that provide you with financial and other kinds of assistance based on your finances and your income. You tell them the truth. 
And let me ask you before we leave this point, if there's any other way that you, as an individual, know that you're not being honest in your life right now. Is there? If so, stop brushing aside the conviction that has come to you and come clean and be honest and tell the truth and accept whatever consequences will come from your dishonesty up until this point. I plead with you as the people of God to be fit for service to the king by being people of utter and absolute integrity. I plead with you to leave off all forms of dishonesty, all forms of bending the truth in any way, and to be people of character, integrity, truthfulness, even when telling the truth doesn't work in your immediate favor. Heed well the words of the king in verse 7. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. But on the other hand, remember to 1 Samuel chapter 2, those who honor me, I will honor, says the Lord. You tell the truth even when it seems like it's going to hurt you to do so, and God will honor that. Be a person of integrity. This is the lifestyle fit for service to our king. That's the first thing I want you to notice in David's list of character qualities fit for a king, integrity. And then secondly, notice what he says about humility. Humility. Verse 5b, No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart Will I endure? No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. In other words, if you come to King David and he can tell that you're a person of pride, you're off the list of people who are going to serve him. David does not want anyone in his service who's proud, haughty, or arrogant. And let me say again there is no place for such things in the kingdom of David's son either. There's no place for pride in the service of Jesus. After all, the very way that we come into his kingdom and into his service is by bowing our heads and admitting that we stink and that we're filled with sin and that we need a savior, right? So we cannot lift back our heads and puff out our chests as we try to serve him. There's no place for pride in the kingdom of Christ. There's no place for pride of spirit that some of us men possess. When we become angry anytime our wives or children dare to disagree with us. No place for that in the kingdom of God. There's no place in the kingdom of Jesus for the sort of pride that can never admit when we're wrong. That can never brook the possibility that we might have made a mistake and never ask for forgiveness from those around us. There's no place for that peculiar brand of religious pride that looks down its nose on other people in the pews around us because we think that we are somehow ahead of them and more holy than they, as if any of us were anything close to what we ought to be. In the kingdom of Jesus, there's also no room for the pride of youth that automatically assumes that the older generation is out of touch and that we are the ones who understand the true spirituality. Nor is there any room for the pride of old age that is quick to criticize kids these days over issues that are actually neither here nor there as far as the Bible is concerned. There's no room in the kingdom of Jesus either for racial pride 
or nationalistic arrogance or looking down our noses on other people of different financial or educational circumstances from ourselves. And there's certainly no room either for that subtle form of pride that sometimes acts as though we are wiser than God. I see that God's word says X, but I really think that in my circumstances, I am able to do Y. Some of you perhaps have been reasoning that way with yourselves in these recent days. And do you know what that is? It's arrogance of heart. It presumes yourself wiser than God. And then, of course, there's no place under the banner of Jesus for the kind of pride to which we are all prone, which is just always thinking about ourselves and trying to provide for ourselves and concerned only about ourselves so that we're often too busy or too self-absorbed to have any time or concern for other people. That, too, is a kind of arrogant heart. And King David's rule about these things was no one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. Pride is not fitting for the courts of the king. And so I plead with you to repent of it this morning. I urge you and I urge myself too to repent of any and all haughtiness, of any ways in which you think too highly of yourself of any ways in which you vaunt yourself against others, of any ways in which you're too proud to listen to others, of any ways in which you're too proud to obey the simple black and white words on the pages of the Scripture. Repent of pride and humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. So David is blood earnest about integrity. He is adamant about humility And then thirdly, let me point out that David is also concerned deeply about the tongue. The tongue. Verse 5a, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. That's strong, isn't it? I hope that you hear, every last one of you will hear that the Holy Spirit will help you to listen to just how much the king hated slander. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. David hates slander, and so does David's God. And gossip right along with it. The two are right next to one another in Romans 1, and I'm going to talk about both of them now. We should hate these things. And so I want to say to you as clearly as I possibly can this morning, are you ready? Stop talking bad about people behind their backs. Simple, isn't it? Stop talking bad about people behind their backs. Just quit doing it today. For some of you, it's your boss or a coworker. For others of you, it may be certain family members with whom you are cross. For still others of you, it may be those that you call friends, but then you gossip about them behind their backs. For many of us, it's our politicians. Even though God has taught us to honor the king and to pray for all who are in authority, we spew venom about them instead. Some of us might be prone to smear the names of other Christian groups who disagree with us on some secondary issues, but who are still our brothers. And sometimes we may even slander our own fellow church members, and it's not right. None of it. Gospel and slander are sins against the person you're gossiping about, against the person you're gossiping with, and against the Lord, who made your tongue for blessing him, not criticizing others created in his image. Some of us may be so used to it that we don't even realize that we're doing it, but that's no excuse. 
Because if God hates slander, then we ought to pay enough attention to our speech to catch ourselves the moment we do it and to stop and to repent. Others of us don't stop, perhaps because our pride makes us feel justified. We genuinely think that we are so much better and wiser and more worthy than Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so that we have the right to speak ill of them. And others of us don't stop because perhaps subconsciously it's our criticism of others that makes us feel a great deal of our own self-worth. It's as we expose everyone else's dirty laundry that we deceive ourselves into thinking that ours is just a little bit cleaner. And I say again that King David, a man after God's own heart, hated such things. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. And let me say that gossip and slander doesn't just happen with malicious intent, but sometimes also just because we're unwise and thoughtless and too eager to break a story. We gossip many times by our sheer lack of discretion in that we publicize other people's business without their permission. So you have to ask, would so-and-so really want me to share with the rest of the Sunday school class that she and her husband are having problems? Or even more appropriately, did so-and-so ask me to share about her marital problems? Or am I just passing it along because I enjoy being the first one to be able to share a juicy story? I hope you see how that is wrong to Mrs. So-and-so. And I hope you can see that even if you're not sharing her story maliciously, your desire to be the town crier and to be the first one with the latest scuttlebutt can still be quite harmful to other people. In our membership covenant, we have committed to, quote, refusing to participate in or listen to gossip or slander. Refusing to participate in or listen to gossip or slander. Let's live up to that commitment and to the sort of character that David said was fit for service to the king. Like his God, David hated slander, and we must hate it too if we're to be fit for our king. So then, David's character checklist calls for integrity and humility. Thirdly, he looks at the tongue, and then in the fourth place, listen to what he says about the eyes. Verse Three, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. How many of you men would make this covenant with David this morning? I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. As it concerns all the sorts of tantalizing but worthless things that are constantly at your fingertips by means of your smartphone. How many of you men would commit with David? How many of you women would make this commitment with David? I will set no worthless thing before my eyes as it pertains to the worthless lies propagated in so many women's magazines and books and talk shows and which actually lead you away from God's design for your life. I'm going to stop reading that. I'm going to stop looking and listening to that nonsense. How many of you older people would make the commitment with David, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes as it touches upon the utter nonsense that comes at you through daytime television all day long. And children, children, will you commit with King David, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes when you see things in books and magazines and on television or the computer that you know your eyes shouldn't be seeing? Brothers and sisters, what goes into our eyes is so important. The eye is the lamp of your body, Jesus says. 
When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. The eyes are vitally important. And if King David had to make a covenant with his eyes, and if King David fell because he broke his covenant with his eyes, how much more do we need to do so? To make a covenant with our eyes, with all the various screens to which we have access We can choose to see not only the worthless things that are going on right around us like King David could, but we can also see worthless things coming at us from a hundred other places on the internet and through the airwaves. And so if King David was concerned with what his eyes saw, how much more should you be? And if King David was concerned about the eyes, how much more is King Jesus concerned about it? So join David. And join Job and make a covenant with your eyes. Commit with the king. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Integrity, humility, a tamed tongue, and pure eyes. Have I stepped on any toes this morning? I hope the Holy Spirit has. Because these are the things that David was looking for in his servants of old. Integrity, humility, a tame tongue, pure eyes. And I submit to you that among other things, these are the qualities that Jesus desires out of those who call him king as well. And here's the thing about King Jesus. Someday, according to Matthew 13, quote, the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Someday, in other words, Jesus will separate the wheat from the tares. Just like David is talking about in this psalm. Someday Jesus will do what David says he will do. Someday Jesus will cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity, verse 8. Just like King David. But today, King Jesus is patient. Today, King Jesus is not here in this room with his garden hoe, sticking it in the ground and popping various ones of us up and getting rid of us. Today, he's willing to forgive, isn't he? Today, Jesus is willing to work with you and to pick you up out of the mire and to set you on your feet again and make you useful. Today, Jesus is in the world not to drive people away from his throne because of their unfitness for his service, but to draw them to his cross where we may find forgiveness and healing, and an opportunity to start over again. And so if you're convicted today that you have not been a person of integrity, but rather of dishonesty and untruth, bring your sins to Jesus and confess them and find a fresh start. Or if you've been shown today the arrogance and the pride of your heart Bring those iniquities to Jesus and be humbled in his presence and find forgiveness and hope. And if it's dawned on you today that your tongue has indeed been a restless evil and full of deadly poison, use that tongue today to make confession to Jesus and you'll find cleansing and a song, verse 1, in place of the slander. And if your eyes have been a gateway for so much evil to enter your soul, bring those eyes and that soul and those failings to Jesus, and he will pour light into once dark places. 
I entitled today's message, Fit for a King, because that's what Psalm 101 says we really ought to be. We ought to be the kind of people whom the king can trust and who will represent him well. And to the extent that we are not, we ought to resolve to change. But at the end of the day, I'm saying to you that even with all of our resolves, we will never be fit for the king on our own, will we? We will never be ultimately fit for service to King Jesus and our resolves will never come to fruition unless we come to Jesus himself, admitting our unfitness, confessing our utter need for his grace and finding the forgiveness and the fresh start that only he can give. So you come to him today. This one who was called a friend of sinners. You come to him today and find forgiveness. You come to him today and find hope. Come to him who can save your soul today and make your life more and more every day fit for a king.